Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. How are you, Tia? I'm good. We both have been on holiday, haven't we? We have. We have. I was in Oman. And I was in Dubai for a few days. Very relaxing. Yeah. And now we're back. Ooh. Back in the van, as you back can tell. Back in the van. <laughs> <laughs> can cool. hear the traffic around us. Indeed. What are we talking about today? So today we're talking a bit about us as consultants. We're going to talk a little bit about how we got into the consultancy space, what we've learned, what pain points we've come across, what's worked, and share a few tips. Should we get into it? Yes, definitely. Cool. All right, let's go. So Tia, why did you decide to become a consultant? money. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, what I wanted to do is have a bit more control over projects I was working on or things that I was doing. So that for me was one of the benefits. I left a job that was horrible and it was just a terrible job. We'll talk about that job. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt after that point, when I left that job, I was starting to kind of question myself and question my skills and my capacity to do things. It just, it was a type of really toxic environment and like racist environment that makes you question yourself. And I was like, no, because I'm amazing. So so getting into consultancies was just a way for me to kind of reorient myself and remember that I have a lot of skills and I have a lot of things to contribute. And I have the biggest thing that I contribute is the approach to consultancies that I think is one of drawing through more participatory approaches and being decentering myself. So centering myself to decenter myself, as it were. <laughs> so you gain control to let go of control? <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So yeah, I think that was the main bit. I think I still struggle with all of the things about being consultant that are horrible. We've talked about before in previous podcasts is that you get paid a lot of money to extract other people's information and synthesize it through your own lens. So I think I I still struggle with those moments. But yeah, that's why I got into consultancies. One, to have a bit more control over things that I was doing. Two, to remind myself that I do have unique things to contribute into the world. And I guess there's probably a third one in here, which is just about being able to legitimize my thoughts. Because one of the things that I think is fairly the common experience for me is being in organizations and you can bang your head against a wall saying, look, this is what we need to do. This is the direction we need to go. Let's try this thing. But when you're a member of staff, people just don't necessarily listen to you, even though you may be like a very senior member of staff, people just don't listen. But for some reason, when they pay you unholy amounts per day, you can say whatever you want and they kind of have to listen to you because they've brought you in for that. So a lesson for all the organizations is just listen to the people that you've got on staff before they walk away from you and then you hire them back as consultants to give you the exact same idea. (laughs) I mean, we've heard this a couple of times where maybe organizations or staff we've worked with in organizations have said you know I've been talking about this for years like you know I've actually been trying to get this through and no one's been listening to me but now you're a catalyst or a conduit for me being able to push this through you as consultants and I think there's just so much wrong with that right (laughs) here's two people we don't know we actually don't know if they're very good at what they do we've just seen their CVs and interviewed them they have the name consultant therefore that's synonymous to expert for a lot of people and therefore I'm going to listen to the subjectivity over the staff that have been working there for years and I think that's what's funny about the work that we do as consultants is we really just pull up other people's thinking Mm -hmm. exactly as you've just said I think that's just a weird dynamic although I will say one thing that I think I've learned being a consultant and was maybe partly a motivation
solution is you do have a real macro perspective about what's going on in the sector. And I think there's a real unique view in that you see what's not working, working in one organisation in another, in another, in another. You see similarities, you see differences. And you have that kind of overarching view that when you're embedded in an organisation, you're blinkered by the bureaucracy and what's happening around you. So I do think that's a really, really unique bring for a consultant because then you can kind of piece together things and build on things and maybe I'm just getting that consultants are underused in the sector to drive <laughs> it in the directions that it needs to go. Imagine someone who's got 20 years experience as a consultant they've seen how things change they've seen organizations change they've worked across maybe different themes different evaluations different reviews. I mean that person is probably going to have a really big and rich wisdom so I don't know maybe I'm kind of going against the expertise thing now. <laughs> well we've always had a complicated relationship with expertise and who mm. experts are. Let me come back to the question you started with. Why, why, what brought you into the world of consultancies? <laughs> you? <laughs> <laughs> well I think for me like I have always been in monitoring evaluation and learning and I always knew where I wanted to go. Like I always knew that I wanted to advance my skill set in some way by hopping from organization to organization. And I've always had in my mind, you know, if I go to this organization, I can get X out of it. If I go to this one, I can get Y out of it. Whether that's a particular technical skill or a particular understanding about a theme or how organization works. But then, I don't know, COVID happened. Things kind of got a little bit destabilized on my ambition and journey. And also, yeah, I worked for an organization that didn't quite bring about what I thought was going to happen. I didn't quite live up to the realities of what I expected. You know, I wanted to work for an organisation that would give me a certain technical skill and that just didn't manifest. And actually, I was the one doing everything and bringing everything. So it wasn't necessarily a mutually beneficial relationship. So so it's kind of falling out of that, really, to then be in a space of, OK, well, what now? Kind of an uncertain, scary space <laughs> to be like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? Like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what job I want to do next. And the reflection of do I just join another non-for-profit? Do I just maintain this journey on monitoring and evaluation and relive the same things? Or sometimes this happens when the mess arises or uncertainty, the best things are born of that, then fell into the world of consultancy really. And to some extent it was opportunistic, right? Like, let's see what happens. Let's throw our names into the mix. Let's see what people think of, of our skill sets, of my skill sets, of your skill sets as a collective partnership. And then then it didn't stop <laughs> because there was a validation to a certain extent right you get a first consultancy you get like someone's like yeah we want to work with you and like, okay great wow <laughs> that, that's about me it's kind of what you said about legitimizing what you know and so then you're like okay great oh crap I have to deliver something <laughs> but you know it's definitely a, an affirmation of what you can do and then from that your confidence builds and your confidence builds and you're thrown into spaces where people are asking you what you think when maybe you've been part of a team before or maybe you've had other people to bounce that off so it just takes the first one and then I think your confidence builds okay well oh can I say one more thing no Yes, I'm going to anyway. Um, <laughs> I also think the variety of what you can do. Mm. So evaluations I've done with organisations, but from an external perspective, is a different kettle of fish. I don't know about that phrase, kettle of fish. Anyway, you can do evaluations for all sorts of like themes that you enjoy or you bring a certain skill set to. So there's, there's just a variety in terms of the kind of organisation you can work for, the kind of theme or kind of evaluation that you can work on. And you have a choice in that. 
you know, yes, you might not win it every time you might put in a proposal, but you have a choice in putting forward something for a certain theme or topic that you enjoy. So there's also that too. I have to agree with you. Okay, so that's the why. Let's move on to the how. How did we get started? (laughs) If you were watching us on YouTube, what you saw was us freezing for a moment while we heard a chapter transition and then us giggling. (laughs) Curious what I look like when I'm giggling. (laughs) Yeah, you'll see it shortly. (laughs) Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets, documents, discussions, planning, the usual really. (laughs) Great. So how did we get started? Getting documents together, getting everything for project management really you were very good at finding tools and things that would help us along the way I don't know if we can say their names (laughs) but we will um, say their names when they uh, sponsor us (laughs) so certain project management tools that sort of became the foundation really for how we got started where we started putting scheduling events that kind of thing and building the kind of document infrastructure and the storage of information infrastructure I think was where we really started. I think what you're describing is a very practical thing the logistical pieces Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it started with us kind of working out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to. Yeah I've missed a step. Yeah like quite a massive one. Yeah. (laughs) But now everybody knows about these (laughs) very ambiguous tools that we (laughs) used for which we will not name. (laughs) I think the big thing is figuring out like what the value proposition is like what are we offering what's our you know in some spaces we think about them as unique selling points and I think really Mm -hmm. anchoring ourselves to that so saying right we're going to take an authentically anti-racist and feminist approach Mm -hmm. to our work and we created sort of a set of kind of principles and values together I think probably for me at least a combination of things that I wasn't seeing in my work with other consultants or my work with other non-governmental organizations but then also stuff that I was seeing that I really liked and kind of putting all of those together and from that we had a a kind of statement that went into every proposal which was an integrated approach and that Mm -hmm. was an articulation of those kind of principles and values that brought us together if we can choose the work that we're doing because we are in that wholly privileged position to be able to make those choices, then let's really anchor ourselves to some key values that are going to help us to understand what organizations we want to work with and why, and that they can understand who we are. Go back and listen to the episode on catfishing, but this was an effort for us to do that so that people weren't surprised. Absolutely. And yeah, those feminist kind of principles on power and positionality, as you say, really anchored us. And then I learned how those evolved with each with each organization that we worked with and or how we lived them and or how the organizations or our clients did or did not echo them so I think you're right they definitely kind of centered in the relationships that we brought about with our clients and so that was I think a a really valuable starting point and also to some extent and strategic starting point knowing I think from my experience where the sector needed to go what organizations needed to spend more time looking at and so therefore offering a unique offering for people that was one sidestep out of technical skill sets that often are the priority of consultants I believe. Absolutely. And that's a really, really great point because I distinctly remember a conversation where you were using the knowledge that you had about 
scandal and controversy within different organizations. <laughs> and then we were sort of tweaking the proposals to address some of those things that had happened within those organizations. And fairness, all of those ones where we were you know, taking a very tactical approach to understanding how our integrated approach meets the needs of the organization, not just from a kind of the practical perspective of what the terms of reference or the request for proposal is articulating, but what we know about the universe of that organization. And, you know, we won all of those. So I think if people are looking for kind of tips of what to do and how to, to tailor and customize a proposal, it's not just about how you meet what's being addressed in the terms of reference, but it's about how you meet the needs of the organization in a more holistic way. I think positioning every proposal that we did in that kind of bigger context really helped. So we would... I feel really conflicted because how much of this should we be telling people? Because it's still <laughs> I mean, we can, we can edit this. <laughs> I think being able to speak to where the organization is, if you're doing like an evaluation or whatever, but also to where an organization is going or the broader needs or, you know, some of the stuff that we did is if we knew that it was this a particular project had been funded by a specific donor, we looked up the things that the donor was interested in and the things that the donor was thinking about in those conversations mm -hmm. and tried to bring it all together so that it was a kind of bigger piece, giving a clear yeah. impression that we understood all the stakeholders that were involved. Absolutely. And I think that kind of feeds into a little bit how we work together, right? In those early stages, we perhaps didn't know so much how our skill sets or particular knowledge and experiences would start to complement or not. And so... <laughs> I mean, more often compliment, but <laughs> sometimes I not. All roses. So kind of what you're saying is putting the evaluation or review or whatever it is we're doing in that wider strategic context. And I feel like that very much echoes your experience in the strategic space, which then very much complements my monitoring, evaluation and learning skills. And together, those things just are very, very tangible things that organisations want. They want an evaluation to be put into a space that people use and people will look at and connects to other parts of the organisation and whatever else is going on in the organisation. So kind of purposefully by accident, we merge things that I haven't necessarily seen before. Like evaluations are often thrown in as a in a male space or a particular team space and are disconnected from other parts of the organisation. And we're very much forcing people to <laughs> like, no, 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 this is all connected to each other. And you can't take this forward unless, I mean, the ones that we've seen where our work has sort of just died on a shelf is the one where they've only held it within a very limited space. And there has either been really low socialization of whatever project it is, evaluation, assessment, learning review, whatever. Or where it's like, no, is only relevant to one team or one part of the organization. Whereas, you know, I think what we say very often is that that's not the case. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to what extent should we share how critical <laughs> we can be? Because yeah. I think like that's a whole nother conversation about being a consultant, about how much you feel you can change and influence and persuade and get into an organization's bureaucracy and how much you are confident in your ability to be critical and critique and challenge. Yeah. And I, I can't decide if this is a pain point <laughs> or what works because I think it's both. Yeah, I think it's both. Do you want to move on to that? Are you 
I think we maybe should do a little bit more on the how, though. Yeah, fair. sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I just was reflecting on what you were saying. Yeah, go back to the how. We love a tangent. Okay, how else did we do it? There was a lot of stuff around finding opportunities. Yeah, so like a pipeline, right? Yeah, yeah. We built a pipeline that sort of fell a little bit by the wayside as we got busier and busier. And I think probably what that means is that it wasn't as agile as we needed it to be. In the beginning, it was really easy to focus very heavily on building that pipeline. But learning for me is that it was actually a bit unwieldy. So we've adopted slightly different tools, I think, make it a little bit more user-friendly in a lot of ways. But yeah, building up a pipeline, having a clear understanding of what's coming down. We wrote down all of the stuff that we went for and we, we wrote down stuff that we didn't go for. And then from that, we started to understand, okay, what sorts of things are we interested in, but we're not going for and why? And from that, we had a little, we ended up with a little list of if it is under X value, then it's probably not going to be prioritized. If it was this, then it might be, if it's in this region or this thematic area, then those are the ones we were going to go for. So we kind of created a bit of an inclusion criteria to help us sift yeah. through things a bit more. Yeah, exactly that. And going to the same places or well-known spaces on the internet to, to look for those different... You just shout them out or no? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think they need any more shout-outs, shout do they? Yeah, well, I mean, I think they probably like... <laughs> Or we could put them in the show notes. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, if you're doing the kind of stuff that we're doing, you're you going, you're drawing from the same pools of knowledge anyways. Yeah. And if you're not doing what we're doing in the same space that we're doing it, then you've probably got your own like sector specific thing that you're looking at. Absolutely. That's and a good way out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. And, and maybe one thing just to say in that process of like looking, creating a pipeline of gathering evaluations or proposals or terms of reference that are out there is also going back to organizations you've worked for before mm. uh, or people that you know or seeing what people that you've worked with and your network are doing or do they have any evaluations coming up I mean to some extent I definitely reached out to my network and told them I was becoming a consultant yeah so people that I'd worked with in previous organizations would then send me links to to proposals or terms of reference that were coming up you know, yep. whether I chose to do them or not was you know another story but making people aware of you know I'm making this shift and I'm becoming a consultant within your own network is kind of essential because there's a familiarity with knowing what you can do what you can bring and even if that's a bit of a shortcut into getting on to the consultancy ladder it could be one way of doing it we didn't do it like that by the way that manifested maybe a little bit more over the time we've been a consultant, but at the beginning, well, we were lucky. <laughs> we were lucky, but also highly skilled, sensitive, introspective people. So. True. <laughs> Which, as Tia rightly said before, um, connected to other parts of that organisation was just the package that they wanted. And that tailored approach was perfectly timed. Agreed. Okay. Anything else on the how we got started? Spreadsheets, <laughs> pipeline, spreadsheet. clear value proposition, budget templates. <laughs> if you haven't gotten this by now, I love a template. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's probably another bit about just, you mentioned this before in the beginning about like we had some really uncomfortable conversations, didn't we, in the beginning of like the tension between wanting to do something different and how scary it is and also yes. the need to 
eat. Gosh, <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because I think I may have temporarily forgotten <laughs> to push that to one side. But yeah, I was so scared. Like, I was really scared to jump up into a space where I wasn't supported by a consistent salary, where mm. I actually had to hustle for my money. <laughs> and suddenly your bills suddenly become more precarious and your rent and everything. And yeah. suddenly you're more aware of the fact you've been comfortable yeah and obviously I'm coming at this from a very privileged space so I did have a bit of time to sit with that and a bit of time to look for a consultancy whereas many people might not you need to get money on the table if you have a family mortgage whatever rent everything but it is really really scary but maybe just as a comfort piece it's okay <laughs> it's, it's almost a perceived fear yeah like once you get your first one that just completely subsides there are maybe pockets of when you finish certain contracts, you're like, okay, I need to hustle again. Or there's a point in which like that peak of fear doesn't quite get to the same space, but it comes up again. Like, okay, I need to find the next thing. I need to find the next contract. But just going back to that point at the beginning, it's really important to have those uncomfortable conversations about finances. It's really important to acknowledge that it is scary. You're jumping into a space that it's not as comfortable as having a salary every month. But once you've, you know, discussed it, written it down, made a plan, then it's manageable. Yeah, I think this is coming from the perspective of us being a duo of people. If you're by yourself, it may be it may look a little bit different. But those conversations, either with yourself or your family members or friends or people you're working with, I think is a really, really important one, as you say, because... Even if you do get the first one, which is maybe something we'll talk about a little bit later, even if you do get that first one, depending on the way that that contract is structured, you still might not get paid for another month. So true. So true. Two months. In the case of one of our more annoying clients, we've been working for them now and we still haven't been paid. And it's been three months in. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> Give us our money. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, having a really clear that one of our pipeline, our initial pipeline spreadsheet had a phase, an idea of like how the income would be phased out so that we could see where we might have big gaps in money coming in, which I think was helpful in terms of just putting the panic right up front. <laughs> yeah, but, but you need that panic sometimes. <laughs> oh, I don't like that feeling of panic. <laughs> but there, there is. But that's what it was. Yeah, no, it comes up. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't go away in that sense. Yeah, but, but I don't know where that started. <laughs> oh, it was just about how we got, how we did it, like, and that was a big bit is just getting comfortable with uncertainty and getting comfortable with so maybe a point out of what you're saying then is to overcome some of that feeling of uncomfortable and that kind of fear you can partner with someone on your first consultancy yeah like you know it doesn't have to be just one other person it could be three other people two other people whatever depending on the size of the contract obviously but you know spread that fear around and then (laughs) (laughs) i bring you all down with me (laughs) but you know, if you are really nervous about doing it on your own and you never have to partner with that person again, but <laughs> you might want to start in a partnership, two of you, three of you, because then you are distributing that fear a little bit and the risk and managing it collectively. So I think that's a good tip. What didn't work? So one thing that really stands out for me is what didn't work is I think sometimes you've got to really plan 
when you're going to be doing the most amount of work for each of your contracts. So I think one thing that was really heavy is having three contracts, having a lot of the report writing and maybe analysis happening at the same time because they're they're really heavy things. And so when you have more than one contract, which you can determine yourself how much work you can take on, managing them at different points, I think is better than starting them all at the same time, actually. Because I think, you know, for one contract, you could be doing data collection for another analysis, another, it could be inception phase, and they all require different levels of input, maybe some lighter than others. So for me, I found that points that it was just a very heavy on big portions of work at the same time. I think that kind of is related to a, a few different things, because one, you know, if you're trying to balance money, then uncertainty, then you're going for stuff constantly. So we were always working that pipeline and we were always looking for opportunities. And it just so happened that three of them we got at the same time, at the same time which is great, but I think harder to predict because you have less control over when things start or when they don't start or, you know, what's what's going on. So it is a little bit harder to control that kind of time frame unless you are in a position to be really deliberate about when you do things and when you don't do things. I think maybe that's just kind of the discomfort we may always kind of be in just because we're always trying to hustle for more stuff. Yeah, that's true. Because we're doing it together as a pair, as opposed to with a consultancy firm or organization that may be able to like meter them out with a bit more balance. So from me to you, I think we're always going to be in a very... <laughs> I mean, oh, surprise! Because <laughs> well, I don't know how we'd be able to control it, right? Like, unless we... Even when we thought we were going to have a break and we were like, let's just take a month off because it's been really crazy. Yeah, I mean, we did kind of take a month off. Kind of. But month off from money. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. No. I didn't mean month off from being paid. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, you're right. There are things that like happen and you, you take them because yeah, you need the dollar. Okay, so what else, Tia? Something for you that didn't work? In the beginning, we were just doing everything together. And I thought that was really hectic. <laughs> <laughs> I think when we were both like, okay, let's both be like corresponding. Let's both be like, we, we didn't organize who was going to talk to who. And I think that was probably fine because we were speaking to each other every day or we were working together in a co-working space. So it, it was fine and everybody got responded to. But I also think that that made it, I think it just meant that we had more conversations about stuff than we probably needed to have because we were yeah. both just like overlapping each other. Yeah, yeah. Working on the same projects, which we've, we, we'll talk about you know, what works in the next segment, but it's not doing that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the opposite of what I've just described. <laughs> so yeah, that was a thing that I, that didn't work because I think it was just like unnecessary. We had more conversations about like logistics and planning as opposed to having a single point person mm. who's just kind of directing things. Yeah, that didn't work. I think another thing for me that didn't work is the assumption that we might have values of working in partnership and participation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that organization has planned for that or that they're ready for that. Even though we say things really deliberately in our proposals, like this is the first line is feminist, anti-racist approach. That's the first line. And people will reference that. They'll say, yeah, it's right up front. We really like that. Part of that is about 
participation. Part of that is about looking at power and positionality. That's all of the pieces are there. But I don't think that it works necessarily to always assume that an organization is prepared for that type of transformation or that they're always kind of ready for something like that. Because then we go in and say, cool, like, let's all together, like, let's ideate and co-design. And they're like, no, we actually, we just, we don't have time for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that's where for a learning maybe is the importance of the inception phase and negotiating those spaces and reiterating it and saying, you know, frankly, up front, if you want this, it's going to need X, Y, Z. And therefore, mm. you're going to need to make space for this. And so I think we've always put emphasis on the inception phase as a space in which those conversations are had and more conversations are had if necessary. I respectfully disagree with you. I think we've gotten a little bit more confident moving that conversation mm. forward. So we're having some of these conversations now in interviews, mm. like how prepared are you to hear challenging, you know, one of the interview questions that we ask back to them is how prepared are you to change? What's the organizational mm. appetite for change? Is it just in this little team that's working on this thing with us? Or is this an organizational attitude mm. that we can expect? And I think if there's a feeling that the organization as a whole is wanting to learn and reflect and grow from it, then it feels like there's a bit more engagement. Whereas if they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're really keen, but the organization is sort of hot patches and cold patches or whatever, then I think that has borne out in the way that people are engaging with us. So I would say, you know, probably a bit of Lauren and a bit of me is, you know, having these conversations in the inception phase is really, really important to understand like what the landscape looks like. But as you grow in confidence, which for me, I think we grew in confidence to be able to ask these questions much earlier yeah, so that we could just true. be like, yeah. okay, no, actually, this is probably not going to be a good fit if you're not vibing with us. But that makes me then think, do you think our confidence will continue to grow? To we'll just start telling which, them. <laughs> I mean, to the point in which we're like, oh, this doesn't match our, our values by, or this doesn't match our values. And therefore, we are not willing to carry out this work. But there, there's a problematic piece in that you often sign the contract before you get to that point. And there's a luxury in being able to say no in consultancy world. Yeah. Go back, everyone, and listen to that episode on catfishing and when you know whether an organization is really aligned to your values and not, and that quite often it's not until you really get into it before you see its true colors. And that is true right. for being a member of staff, but it's also true for a consultant. It's not until you start digging into their stuff do you really see what they're like. I would like us to be confident enough to be moving towards a space where we're able to say we feel we're better able to say no. I think mm -hmm. we are better able to say to hold hard lines on certain things. For example, we'll talk about this later about when we're working with other people and how we structure daily rates. So we'll talk about that later. I think we are becoming more confident in saying here's what we're doing. And I, I do feel us pushing back a little bit more, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. There just happens to be one organization that we're working with and we've had a, a challenging time with them. And they said, oh, we've got this another thing. We've got this other piece on the line. And I think we both, we said, oh, that's interesting, but I don't Hi. think we're <laughs> later. <laughs> so I think we're, we're moving towards that space of, yeah. you know, recognizing the fact that we, we want to be values aligned. So yeah. if we're not, then. Yeah. What I struggled with is how far you step into the organization. Like where is the line in terms of 
let's say you need to talk to, I don't know, people in another context or partners or um, access certain documents. How far do you step into that space, take it for yourself or, you know, wait for the, the gatekeepers or the project team to lean in and get those for you? And there's a mismatch in expectations across organisations for that, I think. Mm. I think some expect you to just do it, you know, take it, email, whatever. And then others expect you to go through the point person. But then you're always limited by, you know, people's socialisation of what you're doing and or the time they have available and or their willingness to send you certain documents. So that kind of gatekeeper space and how much you step in and take it and or wait for them, I, th- I think has been a bit problematic. Yeah, I agree. I've found it really difficult because I am making assumptions that they also want what it is that we're doing. Like it is not necessarily just because they've put out a terms of reference, just because they've hired a consultant to do it. It doesn't necessarily equal that they want it to happen or that they want to learn from it it could just be they've got year end was like a load of stuff coming up because people just needed to like get rid of a bunch of money and they thought that this would be a good way of doing that (laughs) but probably another podcast episode in there (laughs) yeah i can tell you right now if you're not planning on learning from it it's not so do it sync it into your service delivery whatever find a way to use it in a way that is effective (laughs) if you're not planning on learning from it don't put out terms of reference for Stuff like this. I haven't sworn once in this. Whoa. Do we have a button for that? Like, a, like just applause. one that swears. No, you haven't sworn. <laughs> applause. No, well, but I'm on the wrong screen for it, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. I can do... Uh... <laughs> Cute. <laughs> what else doesn't work? So I think there's always a heavy reliance on consultants looking through documents, looking through project documents, internal documents, everything. And... What doesn't work is, yeah, the the organisation of that. Like, you know, some we've had a really hard time trying to understand what documents are missing. Sometimes what even is the content of the documents, how it's relevant, is this everything? All of these kinds of questions that as a consultant really shapes that kind of power piece in terms of we need information and evidence to do our job, but we are limited by what you think you're providing us and so the client is always and maybe this is a reminder as a consultant the client is always shaping what you see and Mm. that is a bias that I think we all need to be aware of as consultants and then having the right questions to ask to make sure that you get the documents you think might be missing I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> so I was listening to you that whole time. It's just you. Can tri- you respond? You tri- yeah. Well, because it's in part what you're saying. Okay, great. <laughs> Can you respond? Yeah, I think that there is there is something. I when I got sidetracked was about like how invested a client is in the stuff that you're producing is not necessarily a given, and so trying to get documents from them, trying to get engagement from them, it's it can be really challenging. And when you were talking about before about how far you step into an organization sometimes you've been pushed into organizations for really random stuff and they're like yeah so how do we do this hiring thing and we're like well we don't know like what's your procurement policy like it it would vary from organization to organization like what i think that relationship between how far you're in an organization is a weird one i think feeling comfortable pushing back because you're very right to point out that the organization will control what you see, what you don't see. So you automatically have baked in bias 
But I think that's the nice thing about our approach is that we say, okay, well, what, what's not in here? <laughs> what have you left out? But unfortunately, the challenging bit has, is more often like show us more because I had one where I was trying to get do a, a literature review and I'd only been given six documents, like six very short documents. Two of them were presentations, like a slide deck. It's like, well, okay, as long as you know you understand that this is this is all you're giving me, so this is all I can use. And I'm still not confident that that, <laughs> that, that message has landed because it's a socialization, it's an engagement piece. But rest assured with the end product, when they realize that there's just a limited pool of knowledge to draw from, rest assured, they'd be very happy to suddenly throw a bunch of documents at me. Oh my God, that is so true. So that, that's another really key thing that doesn't work, is that sometimes the holes in evidence don't materialize until you've done your analysis. <laughs> and suddenly someone is like, oh, wait, no, we do that. Or, oh, no, wait, didn't someone not share that document with you? Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, it's a bit late now. I've just analysed 50 documents and put it through coding software, like, you know. Yeah, that's the worst. Oh, the worst. And then, you know, the overall comments on it, the expectations of, like, you will fill that gap, which is a hard no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you've already used up all your time. And then, you know, the feeling, and, and it's a personal feeling of, you know, we've done all this work to realise maybe there's a bit that we've missed and therefore our analysis is slightly askew and or mm. hasn't accommodated all the documents and so on. So there's also a personal where I put a lot of time and energy into getting something for you that I thought had value and um, was, you know, credibly and based on meaningful, rigorous evidence. Clearly not. Uh, not always. And then we should talk about the management response. Yeah, let's talk about the management response. A lot of things that might not appear throughout your consultancy will undoubtedly appear when people are commenting on your report. Yeah, I think you take this much more personally than I do. I'm like, tough tatas, you didn't mm. tell us anything, so mm -hmm. sorry. I and I, I do think that we are getting better in the beginning of saying, I don't know what I don't know. So if you... Don't tell me what's happening. You don't share with me what's happening. If after 45 interviews, I don't hear this thing, then at the point at which I've spit out some 50 page report is not now the time to suddenly have come your like realization moment. Like that's just not, it's not fair. And I think you take it much more personally than I do. But you're right. It's, it's not fair. And I think this is where I feel as a consultant, you're really tied to an organization mm. because your reputation's on the line. And if they're coming and saying, you know, actually, this is not how it was, this is missing, they have you in their hands. They can write a very bad management response. They can write a bad reference for you. As consultants, you're so reliant on the client relationship that, you know, maybe to get more work, to, to demonstrate what you can do to other clients. Do to them. Uh, do with. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Mm. <laughs> this is all just a front for some other kind of consultancy. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> that was really some kind of slip. I didn't even realize I said it. <laughs> The, so the client really has your reputation in their hands. Mm. And for me, there's I feel that power when they're commenting and they're saying negative things in whatever way about your work. Yeah. Even if it wasn't your fault. The management response is the place where they can put some of these grievances about us and our work, yeah. which sometimes doesn't echo 
the relationship we've had as we've worked on the evaluation or the review or the assessment. Yeah. And the thing that I take personally in that is I'm like, oh, I thought I was the only one who just didn't like you, but maybe you also just don't like me. <laughs> and maybe that's like the hard. But also you, you said this to me before that sometimes when we're writing difficult and critical things about an organization and the way they're working or what we found, that an organization does need a space to demonstrate that they have acknowledged it and or responded to it. And whether that's negatively or positively is more about their reputation, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Ah, I was so clever then. <laughs> you still are. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. You know, because if, if I was an organization, if I had a review, assessment, evaluation, whatever, that whole process was very poorly managed, whether I knew that or I didn't know that. If that whole process is so poorly managed that the holes in that process are being articulated within the review, evaluation, assessment, whatever, um, and that the consultants are drawing attention to those things as being really big limitations to a robust evaluation, assessment, review, whatever, and I knew that this thing was going to a donor, I would absolutely rip the crap out of anybody, <laughs> any, any consultant, anybody, because there's a reputational risk there. Yeah. So I get it, but I also just, maybe I just want to be the only one that has complaints about people. I don't want them to complain about <laughs> me. I don't know. I mean, we we don't need nice. to dive into what that means. We can just leave that there. Okay. So a lot of pain points then. <laughs> yeah. I And that's the thing. I'm sure that there are others, but we've covered stuff that have to do with like our working dynamic. We've had stuff about working with clients and their expectations, not meeting our expectations, our work products, not meeting their expectations. I think there's probably some stuff around time is managed. I yeah. think there's a big thing about like the power dynamic, which we've talked about. Should we do power or time first? Uh, let's go time. Okay. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.